Lord, we see what you have done throughout creation, throughout history, and we are in awe. So Lord, I pray that you will teach us this morning to worship you in spirit and in truth. Father, I thank you for Faith and for Francie and for Paul. Lord, I thank you for musicians. I thank you for church members, Lord, who give of themselves ultimately so that you might be honored and glorified. Lord, I pray that you will teach us your ways today. Lord, we thank you and praise you for who you are. Lord, I pray that you might help us. I pray that you might fuel our affections for you this morning. Stir our affections, Lord, not for the things of this world, but, Lord, so that we might worship you as the only true God. Lord, you did miracles and signs and wonders in the book of Exodus so that the people of Egypt might know that you alone are God. So, Father, we have come this morning coming to hear from your word. And Lord, I pray that we might be reminded that you alone are God. So fuel our affections this morning to worship you. Lord, fix our eyes upon you this morning. Our eyes have gone and looked at many different things this past week, this past week, where we need to repent, help us to repent. Lord, I pray that we will fix our eyes upon you and trust you as the only true God. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you that redemption is found through the precious blood of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, lead us by your spirit. Father, I pray that Haven Baptist will always be a church where your spirit is present. Lord, I pray that you will lead us, Father, today. I thank you and praise you for this opportunity, for this privilege to read and to study and to proclaim your word. Father, we know that it is without flaw, and we know that it is trustworthy, and it is applicable for us today. So, Lord, I pray that we will read it and apply it as your people. We ask, Lord, that you might draw sinners unto salvation here in Madison and beyond. We ask, Lord, that your word might be proclaimed to the ends of the earth. And, Lord, we thank you and praise you for the freedom we have to worship today without the threat of persecution. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, stand with me, if you will, as we read and honor God's holy word. We are in Exodus chapter 18. For a couple more weeks, we're going to take the chapters one at a time, 18, 19, and 20, and then we're going to hit the fast-forward button and take uh, multiple chapters at once. But at least for a few more weeks, we're only going to look at a chapter at a time. This morning, Exodus chapter 18 is pretty much divided into two sections, verses 1 through 12, and then the second section is a bit of a transition, verses 13 through 27. So let's hear from God now as I read Exodus chapter 18. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons. The name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other, Eliezer, for he said, The God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, 
came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. They asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law, all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel and that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God and Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. Have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice, I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and let them judge the people at all times." Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you, and you will be able to endure, and all this people will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel, and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. Amen. You may be seated. Well, today we hear the story of Jethro. You hear a lot of new names nowadays, but you don't hear the name Jethro that often. How many Jethros do you know? Maybe uh, one. The only Jethro that came to my mind was Jethro Bodine of the Beverly Hillbillies. Of course, that's what you were thinking. 
But he's not the Jethro we're talking about this morning. This Jethro is what one pastor called a non-hero, a non-famous hero in the Bible. He's not often heard of, but he has a huge role, a pivotal role in this chapter. We begin the chapter, and there's a lot of background information about Moses' family, and we see uh, his two sons and their names, Gershom, clearly a good name. It points back to his past as a sojourner and traveler. And then there's Eliezer, the name of his other son. There's some options for you. This name exalts God as the one who helped him and rescued him. We know names to be important, names that remind us of who we are as God's people. Well, here in this chapter, God's name is exalted. Through these names of Eliezer and Gershom, we see that God is the one who has helped and rescued. That's the key, rescued Israel. And and um, Moses tells Jethro all about it. As we continue through this chapter, we go. We read of the mountain of God at, at as Oreb. We we saw that back in Exodus chapter three. Uh, chapter three, and now God had spoken to Moses once. He speaks to Moses again, and Moses hears that his father-in-law Jethro is coming to meet him. As his father-in-law comes, he bows down to him and kisses him. Now, my father-in-law was going to be here today, but my mother-in-law was sick, so I was kind of thankful he's not here for this passage. But Charlie's father-in-law is, so I'll let uh, Charlie and his father-in-law settle this out later. But um, we don't obviously bow down and kiss the cheeks of our in-laws. But this was the custom at the time. And this is often a custom in the Middle East. But this is not just a simple custom This is a great respect for one another. They have great respect for one another, and as they come together, it reflects the fact that God has brought them together. It's God who has brought them together. Moses and Jethro welcome one another. They ask about their families, about their welfare, and then they go into the tent. And it is there that Moses tells Jethro firsthand of what all that God had done. You know, just to be there and to hear that conversation, Moses just excited, overwhelmed. This is what God did. This is how God delivered us. We were almost dead, and then God intervened. So Moses tells Jethro of all that went on. We can see this quickly in a couple of verses, Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. We read this several weeks ago, but it's a good description. Exodus 2. 23, it says, During those many days the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. And then fast forward a couple of chapters, Exodus chapter 6, verse 6, we see, what God was about to do as he promises deliverance. In Exodus 6, 6, it says, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. So this is what God did, right? This is what he had promised he would do, and this is what he accomplished. And now... 
Moses has the responsibility and the privilege of sharing this with Jethro, sharing with his father-in-law, this is what our God did. He rescued us. He redeemed us. He delivered us. And so the two rejoice at what God had done. Even last week, we put up on the screen of all that God was doing in our midst at Haven. That she shared with me this morning, she said, it was enough for me to know Jesus died for me. Just that one sentence just reminded me of the work of God that God did not only in her life, but in our lives. We should rejoice at what God has done. This is what Moses is doing. He's rejoicing in what God has done. We rejoice because we've been delivered. We've been saved. Paul says in Ephesians, we have heard the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation revealed by God. We have believed in Jesus and we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. We once walked in the desires of our flesh, but no longer. No longer. Now we walk in the power of the Spirit. This is what Paul describes in Colossians chapter 1. In Colossians 1, it says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. In What are we doing? We're worshiping God. We're celebrating with one another. We are coming together as the people of God, the community of faith, coming together to worship what God has done. What God has done, he says, blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, out of the hand of Pharaoh, and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know. What does he know? Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. The Lord is greater than all gods, all the gods that the Egyptians served, 60 plus gods, all the different gods that they worshipped, pale, because they are not gods at all. They are fake, they are phonies, and now Jethro rejoices that I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because he has shown his victorious hand. This reminds me of a song by Matt Redman called, Blessed Be Your Name, It says, blessed be your name in the land that is plentiful, where your streams of abundance flow. Blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place, though I walk through the wilderness. Sounds like the people of Israel as they're walking through the wilderness. Blessed be the name of our God. We rejoice in what God has done. The name of God is to be blessed and recognized as holy and worthy of all worship. So Jethro worships God, and then in verse verse 12, as Jethro is worshiping God, Aaron and the elders of Israel join him in worship. They join him in worship. They eat bread together. Eating and drinking are not just part of daily living. It's not just part of counting calories or figuring out what our next meal is. But eating and drinking is to be done to the glory of God. It's opportunities for us to worship God through what He has given us. So here in verse verse 12, it's not a side tangent. He is worshiping God with the elders of Israel. They're worshiping together. Then in verse 13, this is where we're going to spend most of our time this morning, we transition to this topic of Jethro as an organizational guru. You know, we see a kind of a, a change in the passage. It kind of shifts quickly as we talk about Jethro and his influence upon Moses' life. 
This is an amazing encounter as we look at what God is doing here between Moses and Jethro. You know, if there was one position I wouldn't want to be, it would be Moses' father-in-law. I mean, you'd think, what can he share with Moses? Moses is the meekest man upon the face of the earth. But as we will see here in this passage, Moses is just that. He's a man. He is a mere man. So as we come to this passage, we read about Jethro and his organizational abilities. If he were living in our day, publishers would be clamoring for him to write a bestseller. You know, how to delegate and, and organize your, uh, your office in three easy steps. But that's not what we're after here. Jethro comes and he looks upon Moses' situation and he sees the frustration of Moses. In fact, I'm kind of frustrated when I read verse 13. Look at verse 13. Did this verse frustrate you? The next day Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. I mean, if I was Moses, I'd be thinking, don't you have anything better to do? It's like dogs just wandering around him begging for food or just you know asking for their next assignment. You know, they're just always around him, always looking and asking for him to do the next thing. So Moses is there, and he's he is um, delegator, judge, priest, prophet, doing all these things, and I'm sure the pressure was mounting. I'm sure it was exhausting. So Jethro comes, and he sees what's going on, and he's concerned for Moses. He doesn't lecture Moses, but his, his advice comes out of concern. What does he say in the passage? He basically says, what are you doing? The people are too dependent upon you. Things have got to change. That's loosely translated. And so this is what we see here as Jethro approaches Moses and he sees the problem and he says, Moses, what are you doing? Moses, he tries to explain himself. He tries to tell him what's going on in verses 15 and 16. What does he say? He says, the people come to me to inquire about God. I mean, he was God's representative. They come to me to inquire about God. When they have a dispute, they come to me. I decide between one person and another. I make them know the statutes, the laws of God. So he didn't have a small role. This is a big responsibility. So he's trying to explain himself to his father-in-law. He had a job to do, an important job, but he is the only, he is not the only leader who is able to judge. Sometimes we can think of ourselves as indispensable, irreplaceable, and think that we have to do this, I have to do this, I'm the only one who can do this. That's what we can think. But then what does Jethro tell Moses? I love verse 17. Moses' father-in-law says, what you're doing is not good. Just very plain spoken. What you're doing is not good. Now again, this is coming out of a heart of compassion, a heart of concern. He says, what you're doing is not good. Why was it not good? Because he says, you are going to burn out. That's the part that I've always focused on. I mean, I focus on it for a second and then move on. But then the second part is just as important. He says, you're going to burn out and the people are going to burn out. So a leader who thinks too highly of himself will burn himself out, 
and the people who serve underneath him. There's a lot of wisdom here that Jethro speaks. We must remind ourselves, we must not walk alone. We're not meant to lead alone. We are meant to lead with others. Jethro tells Moses, you're going to burn out. You are not going to be able to keep up this pace. It's wonderful when you have friends and family members who love you enough to speak the truth to you, to say, whoa, you can't keep this up. You need to put on the brakes. Do you realize how this is going to hurt you? They words, but they speak them in love. I'm so thankful for my brother Jim Kidd, who's nodding his head. Um, he knows what he probably knows what I'm about to say next. I'm so thankful for at least two different occasions. Uh, my brother Jim Kidd and Nathan Neely, that many of you know, came to me at different times in love and with wisdom and said, Brother, you need to slow down. You're going to burn yourself out. So thankful for my brother. So thankful for his encouragement. And Jim's thinking, now only if you'll listen. (laughs) There's so much encouragement when you're surrounded by brothers and sisters who love you. This is why I'm so thankful for Jim Kidd, for Justin, for Charlie, most recently Paul Henley, who have come alongside me to help me, to encourage me. I think of Proverbs chapter 15, verse 22. Proverbs 15, 22 says, Without counsel... Plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. This sounds like our passage right here with Jethro telling Moses, you can't do this alone. You're not the one who can solve all these things alone. So this chapter in this text is not an explicit text on having elders within the church, but it does give us wisdom on spreading responsibility amongst Elders amongst leaders in the church. As the passage continues, Jethro gives Moses some advice on the situation. Jethro recognizes ultimately God is in, in charge of all things and God is still going to use Moses as a leader and as a teacher. Um, it's okay. <laughs> Sorry, you're getting, getting ahead. You guys can uh, focus on that. That's good though. Uh, we're getting there. But, um, he tells, Jethro tells Moses, If I were you, I would appoint people over a thousand, over a hundred, over fifty, and over ten. He tells Moses what to do. So what is God doing here? God is ordering the nation of Israel to receive the law of God at Mount Sinai. They're to ready to be received what God, we must be ready to receive what God has for us through the leaders he puts in place. The people Moses appoints are not just random individuals. Who is he supposed to appoint? There will be people with integrity, people who fear God, people who are not greedy, and people who are trustworthy. Jethro tells Moses, let these people work with you and for you. They are to bear burdens with you. All right, now let's go ahead and get that next slide up. Elders within congregational life, strengthen the church in numerous ways. Again, as I looked at this passage, I always thought about what Moses' role was. He was not to burn out. But also, Jethro says, you're going to burn the people out. 
They are going to groan. They are going to complain. They are going to become weary. And so again, this passage isn't explicitly for how we use and see elders within the congregation, but here's just three ways elders strengthen the church. One, elders are able to shoulder burdens and responsibilities together. Again, I could preach a whole sermon on each one of these uh, points, and probably will, so don't, don't, uh, don't worry, we'll get there. But again, they, they shoulder the responsibilities together. We see this in, cha- in Titus chapter 1. Number two, elders care for the body of Christ in numerous ways. Church health is important. Um, again, uh, the body of Christ needs multiple elders caring for it. We see in Hebrews, do we have Hebrews there on the screen? I think we've got Hebrews 13. There we go. Yeah, Hebrews 13 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So again, what are elders to do? They are to care for the sheep that's placed under them. So again, elders care for the body of Christ. They're looking out for the body. And number three, this one is not often highlighted, but it's just as important. Elder leadership promotes the spread of the gospel. Again, you'll get a whole sermon on this later. But again, if there's multiple elders caring for the church, caring for the sheep, then the sheep can do what God has called them to do, is that is to worship God and to go and to make disciples of all nations. One of the best chapters on elders is in Acts chapter 20. Paul doesn't say, um, look to me, but he encourages, he exhorts the elders there to do what God has called them to do. And so that disciples might be made there and beyond um, where they are serving there in Ephesus. Well, back to our passage. Here, Jethro assures Moses, if he listens and leads in this way, God will direct him as he delegates. So he tells him, this is the instruction I'm giving you. If you listen, if you obey, God will bless you. And that's what we see take place. The people will persevere. They will have peace. Moses was the man God put in charge. But again, he was not the man. We're tempted to look at passages in the Old Testament, look at them, look at them as moral examples, as this is how you organize your life according to Jethro, this is how you're humble according to Moses. But we're not to look at Old Testament stories as moral examples. We are to see Moses as somebody pointing us to Christ, pointing us to the cross. So we must see Moses is the man, but he's not the only man. He is pointing us to the God-man, Jesus Christ. I also want us to see, as we look at this chapter, we must recognize Moses' humility here in this passage. He receives instruction. He doesn't say, I know you're my father-in-law, but I'm the prophet of God, and I've got this under control. Come back tomorrow. No, he receives instruction, even as a man who's at least 80 years old. He's at least 80, still receiving instruction. So I was challenged as I looked and studied for this passage, asked myself this question. I want to ask you this question this morning. Do you receive instruction well? Do you receive instruction well? We too must be willing to listen to others. We must be ready to receive instruction from others. 
We see at the end of this chapter, Moses listened in verse 24 to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. So he listened to what the advice that was given to him. You may be tempted to think that you have everything figured out. But let me assure you, you need help. Man, you are tempted to think that you can do this thing called life alone. I am tempted to think this. You need others. They need you. This is why I'm so thankful for brothers like Morris, like Jack, and like Paul Crouch, who are leading men here at this church and teaching them, encouraging them to walk according to God's ways. We need each other. It is clear in Scripture that we are not called to do this thing called church alone. We're the body of Christ, not the single head of We are one body, many members. What else do we learn about this passage? We see several things in this passage. We see Moses' humility. We see Jethro's wisdom. We also note a connection between Jethro and another person, another person that we don't know a lot about in the Bible is Melchizedek. Melchizedek, if you look at Genesis chapter 14 and here in Exodus chapter 18, there's a lot of similarities Jethro was a foreign priest in Midian. He came to Moses right after a great military victory. He came right before God makes a covenant with his people. Jethro blesses God for delivering Israel. Jethro brought bread. Again, if you look at Genesis 14, many similarities with the person of Melchizedek. Now, what is my purpose here in showing you these similarities? It's not just to point out more facts for Bible trivia, but I thought it was interesting that Melchizedek teaches us that someone is coming that is greater than Abraham. Likewise, Jethro teaches us that there is someone coming who is greater than Moses. It's Jesus. It's pointing us to Jesus. Moses is not the Savior of the world. Jethro told him that. You can't do it alone. You're not called to do it alone. This is clear in this passage, and it's even more clear as we progress through through uh, Exodus, there is only one Savior in the world. As I close, I want to remind us that Jethro is pointing us forward to Jesus Christ. He is the only Savior of the world. He is the only one that we need. I pray that you trust Him this morning. Let's pray. Gracious Father, I thank You for Your Son, Jesus Christ. I thank You that He is the perfect prophet, priest, and king. And Lord, I thank you and praise you that you have shown us your ways. And Lord, I pray, Father, that we will be like Moses and receive instruction. Lord, I pray that we will follow your word. Lord, I pray that we will humble ourselves just as Nancy did in our midst last week. That we will humble ourselves saying that we need a Savior. Lord, I praise you and thank you for this time together. Lord, we, we worship you and we call upon your name, for indeed you have delivered us and rescued us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.